broadcasting from Moscow, Idaho. This is the Campus Reacher Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 81, Getting a Crowd. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Reacher Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. And this is episode 81, Getting a Crowd. I was going to entitle it uh, When I Knew I Could Preach or something like that, but that would seem too long and too vague. And then even getting a crowd doesn't seem right. So maybe between now and publishing this, I will have a new title for this episode um, because what I'm going to talk about is about six weeks in. So last week I shared getting started into open-air preaching the first time I did it and kind of what that was like, and then it took me about six weeks to kind of get my legs under me, and that's what I want to talk about in this episode, uh, but before I do that, I do want to mention that we uh, have the last weekend of April, the first weekend of May in Cedar Rapids, Idaho, or South Dakota. Uh, is it Cedar Rapids? Cedar Rapids? Rapid City? Rapid City, that's what it is. Rapid City, South Dakota. We have a rally taking place, um, as I mention every week. It's a beautiful area, so it's definitely worth uh, the time and effort to get there, even just from a vacation spot, you throw in a little rally, whatever we're all doing there. I don't know if we're going to have flags and signs and protests and stuff like that. But the governor of South Dakota has been uh, pretty great during the whole pandemic. And so we thought we'd throw a little conference slash rally in their state. And it's a, it'll be a, a great time. So I look forward to getting there and seeing some of you. And hopefully by that point, I'll have a little bit of a ministry update to give uh, by that point, but we'll see what happens. Um, and then you can also go to the um, Cross Politic website to see some of the other shows that we have going on. You can also become a club member and get some other content that we have available uh, for club members only. And if you put in Campus Preacher or Campus Pastor, um, that will also just help my little podcast get a little kickback sort of thing uh, when you enter Campus Preacher or Campus Pastor into uh, your club membership. And then, uh, so as I was saying last week, the first time I ever preached, um, took me a while to say anything. And then I was able to kind of start getting out there every day and it didn't take me too long to say anything. I could kind of roll there and start speaking. But the, uh, so I started off in Pennsylvania. Then I got in a car wreck. Um, I was going to a wedding, got in a car wreck. I was out of commission for a few days, just really tight and all that sort of jazz. And then I hit the road again. And the first place I preached after Slippery Rock was Penn State University. And there was a guy there named the Willard Hall Preacher who used to be kind of a Pentecostal holiness preacher. And at some point, he became an Eastern Orthodox, like in the late 90s. I guess he lost a debate to an Eastern Orthodox student, became an Eastern Orthodox. So there's actually an Eastern Orthodox open-air preacher named the Willard Hall Preacher at Penn State University. And so when I got there to preach, I just went to Willard Hall. And uh, he let me preach. It was really nice. I even ended up staying at his house. He was a, a kind guy, nice guy. Uh, he tried to obviously convince me of orthodoxy and his basic argument being sola scriptura is not found in the Bible, therefore it can't be biblical. That was basically his presuppositional critique of Protestantism. And then from there, he also wanted to argue uh, from a presuppositional standpoint that the scriptures uh, teach that Paul passed on traditions, and he wanted to argue that those traditions were found within the Eastern Orthodox church. So they're really good discussions. It was a good time. It was kind of my first real introduction to Eastern Orthodoxy. Much of what I've interacted with prior to that was um, Roman Catholicism. And then from there, I went up into New England. I had a friend of mine who was uh, studying at Gordon-Conwell, so I went up and stayed with him for a few days. I went to, I want to say, did I preach in New Hampshire? I think I preached in New Hampshire a day. Maybe I went up to, I may have even gone up to Vermont 
Um, I think I even got to Vermont. That could have been 2010. And then I went to University of Connecticut. I stayed with a local pastor, um, a family from his church in Connecticut. I also preached at UMass. And that was the beginning of uh, like kind of learning to do it. Because at Willard Hall, you had a guy there already who already had a uh, kind of had a built-in crowd. He never had a huge crowd for the most part. But most days, he'd have some kids listening to him. I just would tag team with him. And uh, it was kind of UMass and UConn where I began to uh, maybe get a little bit of crowd, but I would never be able to sustain them. Even if I got a crowd for a few minutes, they usually petered out after maybe uh, a few minutes, an hour and a half or so. And so very rarely was I able to go from like noon to five, whereas nowadays, for the most part, most days I'm able to go from uh, noon to at least four, sometimes five, six, seven, eight o'clock at night. Whereas back then it would be uh, noon, maybe the latest would be like two o'clock and things would peter out. Then I'd have one-on-one discussions. And one of the things I do remember is preaching at UMass. And uh, th- this was this was one of the days where I was kind of like, I enjoy this. Um, I was preaching, a bunch of people uh, started gathering around me, dancing like monkeys and stuff. You don't believe in evolution? They're going, ooh, 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 and they're running around. And it was just kind of funny because it seemed to kind of, to an extent, undermine their arguments. Their whole argument is that they're monkeys and they wanted to mock me for be- basically being a monkey, it seemed like, or being stupid like a monkey. And yet here they are, kind of the descendants of uh, some sort of apes, uh, I suppose. And so they, uh, so that was, and, and so as I, I got a really good crowd going there, and I remember interacting with a Jewish kid named Goodman. And I also remember a, uh, kind of a secularist hippie, had a big beard, long hair, named Brian. And I got done on my first day preaching and probably maybe kept the crowd that day until maybe three, and then things started petering out. And I remember going back and forth with Goodman, the Jewish kid, and defending why I believe Christianity was true, and he seemed to kind of be relatively open to my arguments from the Jewish scriptures. And then I was kind of taking on Brian's uh, secular arguments. And at the time, I was reading a lot of Gordon Clark, so I don't remember exactly what my argument was. Um, but I remember interacting with him in basically Clarkian fashion and being radically anti-empiricist and going after uh, his philosophy and his worldview. And uh, the, the thing I mainly remember from that day was finishing up my day and Goodman being like, man, this is my favorite day ever on a college campus. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, this was great. We never have discussions like this and blah, blah, blah. And so he gets done telling me that. And right after I, he gets done telling me that, Brian goes, you know what, man, you're an effing idiot. And so so like right off the bat, you, I, I got, I got, you know, you can't please everybody. And I don't think I was being a jerk. Like, cause there, there is that element to your preaching where like, okay, am I being mean? Am I being a jo- jerk? Is my tone bad? Whatever it is. But I, I had a day where a student, Jewish kid, who disagreed with me said, man, this is uh, this is great. This is one of my favorite things. The other guy walks away saying you're an effing idiot. And so what determines uh, one person walking away saying this is great, another person walking away saying you're an idiot? I'm not exactly sure what determines that. Sometimes, obviously, it's the grace of God. It helps people understand. Other times, it's uh, something else, uh, just personalities and all that sort of jazz. And even just maybe, uh, you know, I, I think at the time, I was, I was far more content trying to make him look like an idiot with his beliefs rather than trying to necessarily win him. So I, my, my disposition may have played in a little bit, and Goodman could have just been up for a debate and seeing a kid kind of get his nose rubbed in, in it, he may have uh, enjoyed that a little bit. And, um, and so that was probably the first four or five weeks of preaching. Oh, but the, the good thing the next day, I, I get, I'm getting ready to preach. I actually didn't preach the next day because I'm getting ready to preach. And Brian came up to me and was like, hey, man, uh, would you be willing to have lunch with me? And so we ended up having lunch and talking for about an hour and a half, two hours. It was a really good conversation. You know, the kid didn't become a believer or anything like that, but he at least liked me at the end of that conversation, which is always a, a good thing and something you want. As Christians, we do want to be liked by outsiders. And I do think in so much as it depends on us, we should be at peace with all men rather than trying to lean in at every point and being the biggest... Uh, 
uh, jerk we can be and thinking we're being persecuted just because of uh, we're pressing the antithesis, so to speak. And then, uh, but at that point, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do as a preacher. I didn't know who I was as a preacher. So how did I Keith Darrell uh, preach? I knew what I didn't want to be, didn't really know what I wanted to be. And so I just started, this is early email uh, or in discussion groups like Yahoo groups, and I don't remember what the other forms were. But I just started emailing these forms like, does anybody know anybody that preaches? Does anybody know anybody that does this? I was like, these are the only guys I know who do it. I don't want to do it this way. And someone mentioned uh, that in the 90s, uh, this uh, this was 2000, the fall of 2000, and then they said in the 90s there would be a guy who'd come to Texas A&M. They thought did a pretty good job. His name was Tom Short. And so I Google, or I guess I didn't Google Tom Short. I Yahooed Tom Short probably at that time, and I, I found a website, and What's funny, uh, Tom, I think I can say this, Tom and I ended up becoming good friends uh, after this, but but when I pulled up the website, it was it was old school, like it, it's hard to explain what a website in the 2000s looked like, and I believe it was Tom's website, and it, uh, you know, it was one of those things where you had like the mailbox with uh, the send email, I think, in there and stuff like that, and uh, there was a, a picture of Tom with a sign that maybe said, God is love, and and he looked a little bit like Ned Flanders. He had a mustache. And a little, I'll say he looked a lot like Ned Flanders. And I'm like, do I want to contact? Do I want to preach with Ned Flanders? I know I don't want to be Westboro Baptist Church. I know I don't want to be Shock and Awe guy. I know I don't want to be Hellfire and Brimstone guy. But do I want to be Ned Flanders? And so I didn't know what to expect. But this, these people on the World Wide Web, for whatever it's worth, said, you know, you should uh, look up this guy and see what he's uh, see what he's all about. And so I, I messaged him, and fortunately, he was coming up through Washington, D.C., and I was coming down through New England. And the year prior to that, I had lived in Washington, D.C., so I had a lot of friends there, and I decided to uh, stay put uh, there for a few weeks and preach. So I went up to, like, Maryland, went over to George Mason. Uh, I believe I went to George Washington, even, like, American University, which was private. I didn't really get anything going there. And, uh, the, you know, the following week, whatever it was, Tom comes to town, and I remember meeting up with him, uh, we went to like the University of Maryland, went to George Washington University, and I don't remember if we went to any others, but it was a day at George Washington University that I vividly remember being like, okay, this is a trajectory of how I want to do it. And the thing I was impressed with with Tom is he did uh, two things well. I thought he did a good job being confrontational without being overboard. He wasn't like calling people's names and being ridiculous. He was doing apologetics without, um, you know, nuancing everything in a way where it was no longer kind of like a Christian understanding of these things. So I thought he did a pretty good job of, of being both gracious and firm in his disposition and in his positions. And you got to realize 20 years ago that the culture was radically different on a college campus and um, students were a little more committed to the basic ideas of truth and the multiculturalism and the diversity. It was there, but not on the steroids like it is today. So you could get away with saying things that you can't today and stuff like that. But I remember preaching at George Washington University and having him getting a really good crowd going there. And we preached till I think five or six o'clock maybe that night. And uh, yeah, it was just just really, really solid. And, And I remember one of the things that that stand out from that day um, was his opening. Yeah, he 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 spoke firmly and straight up, uh, and, and spoke in a way to want to get a crowd. Um, and then the other thing that stood out is he told this long story about going to India and maybe going to visiting these temples. And uh, just the way he dragged this thing out, I I I don't do this well on campus, but he would just drag. He I felt like I felt like it was an hour, it was probably fifteen minutes that he drew this story out. But he's just drawing out the story. 
And he would talk about, and I went into this temple, and you'll never believe what they're washing their faces with. You'll never believe. And then, I, I can't say it. I can't say it. And then he'd go on and continue with the story. And they're like, what did they put on their face? And like, it was just one of these things where he just kept building it. We're like, what did they put on their faces? What did they put on their faces? And then he, I think it was like cow urine, if I remember correctly. And it was kind of funny because they were relatively like, disappointed that that was what they were putting on their faces. Um, but he just kind of, he did a good job of like pulling them all into this story uh, with that. And so what I realized in watching this, okay, what do I want to do when I'm out there? Um, I want to, if I can, use storytelling, uh, use humor, uh, use bluntness, use boldness. Um, all these things work in getting and keeping a crowd and a faithful Christian witness, and you're not falling off into either you know, being simplistic, either into a um, Joel Osteen-type ministry and preaching where you're just kind of like really upbeat, but you're not saying anything hard, or falling off into the Hellfire and Brimstone guy where everything you're saying is just as hard as possible and you think you're uh, doing great. And what I saw there was students who were um, you know, put off, turned on, interested, and they gathered, and they interacted, and it was just fun, fun, fun times. And so as I as I preached with him that week, went up to Maryland, as I was saying, uh, he would let me start, I think I started a couple times, and then, and this also maybe ties into 2001, I might be conflating my timeline a little bit, because I also traveled with him the week of 9-11, but we, um, but, no, it was this time that he told me that, because I started putting it into practice. The, the two things, after a week of preaching with him when I'd preach, he told me two things that just totally radically revolutionized my open-air preaching. He told me two things. He said, one, uh, when you go out there and you speak, you're hoping that people listen to you, and you're speaking in a way where you're apologizing for being out there. You're not speaking to be heard. And so when you step out there, speak to be bold. And that was one of the things I realized I wasn't doing because I did not want to be Hellfire and Brimstone guys. So I would almost start off apologetic for being out there. And hey, everybody try to be upbeat and positive and all that sort of stuff. But it was really, I was almost like ashamed of being out there. And I was kind of hoping that they would that they would like me rather than, look, you're either going to like me or not. I'm out here. We're going to evangelize. Here's what we're doing. Uh, let's have at it. And that was the first thing he told me. And then just very practically, the second thing he told me, if, if I began to preach and I started to get a crowd, what I would end up doing was going up to students to ask them questions. Or like if they asked me a question, I'd go up and start talking to them. So let's just say I got 15 people gathered. And they usually gather kind of like in a horseshoe. So if you can envision uh, kind of a horseshoe before you and say someone off on the left side of the horseshoe asks you a question. When I get asked that question, I'd go over to them, shake their hand, start talking to them. And when I'd start talking to them, I'd lower my voice, get into a conversation with him, and I'd cut off the other, say, 14 people who were standing there. And next thing you know, I was talking to one person, and I'd kill my crowd. And so what Tom told me to do is when you start to get those 15 people and someone asks a question, it's fine to shake their hand. He's like, but don't do it initially. Take two steps back and think of projecting your answer for more people to come into the conversation. And I started doing that. And lo and behold. And then from there, once I started answering the question and have a little back and forth, then I'd go over and shake the kid's hand where what I was doing right off the bat was going up, shaking the kid's hand, trying to develop a basic rapport that I'm not out here against them, but I'm, you know, for them in some regard, I would still go up and shake their hand and that sort of stuff. But it was in the context of having stepped back, incorporated more people into the conversation. I would go up, shake their hand, then I'd step back and continue to preach. And so I left uh, Maryland, at, or yeah, Maryland, Washington, D.C. at that point, and I dropped down to uh, North Carolina. And it was in North Carolina, was kind of like the, okay, I can do this. I can I can get crowds. And I preached at NC State. I preached at UNC Chapel Hill. 
Uh, Chapel Hill is a pretty tough place to get a good crowd to go in. Um, so, so I didn't mind not getting a huge crowd there. There's a guy uh, who preaches there like all the time with banners and kind of this crazy stuff. And so when those guys are on campus a lot, it just kind of kills the vibe when you're a little more normal. Um, but then I went out to Appalachian State University and I began to preach. And uh, I started, and here's how I remember it going. And, and some names and the, the timeline might be a little confusing because it's been 20 years, basically, almost 21 years. So I start preaching, and uh, some students start to gather on a hill, and a Catholic girl comes up to me and was like, hey, do you think this is the best way to do it? Do you think we should just serve the poor? And I was like, ah, you know, I, th- I think there are different parts of the body, and you can serve the poor if you want. I believe I'm called to preach, and so I'm out here preaching the gospel. We had a little bit of a discussion. She's like, okay, and she left, and then I start preaching again, and more kids kind of stop on this hill. Then another girl comes up, and she was like, um, hey, would you um, just – would you mind maybe not preaching? I th- this is turning people off. It's not the way to do it. She, I th- she was your average evangelical girl. And uh, I, I pulled the old uh, moody line, hey, do you, you know, uh, how, when was the last time you led someone to the Lord? And she's like, oh, I haven't. Like, oh, well, I'll tell you. Or when was the last time you evangelized? I was like, ah, I'll tell you what. I like the way I do it better than the way you haven't. Boom, boom. And so that's kind of D.L. Moody's line that a lot of people drop. And it's 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 okay. That doesn't – I mean, just because you're doing something uh, – does not justify it. But anyway, I, I believe I was faithfully preaching the gospel. But I remember getting done with that conversation. And it was probably the hardest I've ever preached because I remember just thinking, like, I got to get a crowd. And I have, like, and you have your 10 minutes, generally speaking. A changeover happens. You have, say, 11.50 to noon to get your crowd, basically. And at this point, it was, like, 11.57. I was, like, I got three minutes to get a crowd. Fortunately, I already have 60, 70 kids maybe sitting on a hill. And uh, so I just get done. And I, I think if I remember correctly, my comments was, if you're a Buddhist, you're going to hell. If you're a Hindu, you're going to hell. If you're a Muslim, you're going to hell. If you're a Catholic, you're going to hell. You know, I just, everybody's going to hell. And, and at that point, there was this more kids, boom, sat on a hill. And a girl comes running over, this hippie girl. And she sits down, or she comes up to me, and she's like, hey, uh, would you mind, I want to take a nap on the side of the hill, and your talking's interrupting that. Would you mind leaving? And I said, hey, if I... Uh, if I was a homosexual group, would you care if I was out here? And she goes, no. If I was a pro-abortion group, would you care if I was out here? She said, no. I was like, so it's my message. And she said, yes. And I was like, all right. And uh, she goes, i tell you what. She goes, i tell you what. If, if you give me good vibes, you can stay out here. Um, so, so just tell me how much God loves me or something like that. So she goes back to her little hippie band. And uh, I... Uh, uh, so I was like, all right, I think her name was Marlies, because that, that, I'm collapsing two people. I, I, one of them, I don't remember their name, but I was just like, hey, uh, Marlies wants me to give her good vibes. She wants me to talk about the love of God. Is that right, Marlies? And she goes, yep. And I was like, all right, so I want to tell you guys about the love of God. In order to know about the love of God, you need about the life of Jesus. And I would say the wind blows where it wills. Uh, no man can basically control it or knows where it's going. And I would say the Spirit of God came rushing upon me at that point and uh I just remember preaching on the life of Jesus for about the next hour and a half. Everything I can remember about his life, I preached on. And I just remember everyone just sitting there, dead quiet, no one coming, no one going. I, you know, I don't know what the numbers were. We'll just say there were 100 kids there, 120 kids. And they just sat and listened uh, for a good hour and a half, I think is what it was. And I ended with the death of Jesus. I did not get to his resurrection, so maybe I didn't really preach the gospel. I'm sure I preached the resurrection at some point. Um, but I ended with his death. And my point was, you see, Marlies, um, when God loved the world, uh, they wanted him dead. Uh, so it's not that you guys want to hear about the love of God or you want to hear about the judgment of God. You don't want anything to do with God. Uh, when God became a man, he loved the world. The world killed him. And that was kind of my wrap-up, my finish. Um, I kind of remember and just, yeah, it kind of felt like I was done. Like, you know, don't want to sound too charismatic on y'all, but I felt like the Spirit was like, yeah, that's it. You're done preaching. And uh, so I uh, laid it out with the death of Christ, went off on the side. I began to pray, and a girl came up to me, and she's like, hey, I think Jesus is beautiful. I want to learn more about him. And I just began crying 
and uh, she began crying, and we talked about Jesus, and she was pregnant out of wedlock, and uh, her mother, or at least the mother of the the grandma, the soon-to-be boyfriend's grandma, whatever you want to call that, she was blaming the woman for seducing her good Baptist boy or whatever. And uh, so she was having a hard time, like, how do I bring all this stuff together? And I was like, look, uh, you, obviously two of you played a role, but he was wicked long before you came along, and uh, you know, maybe you did seduce him. I don't know. But the reality of it is uh, he was wicked long before he had met you, and uh, it's not your fault. He's a sinner. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you're culpable for your actions, culpable for your sin. And um, she was just open to the whole gospel. And she was kind of this hippie girl. She wanted to go out to Oregon, uh, a lot of a lot of hippies in Boone. And I remember talking to her and giving her my information in St. Louis. Sadly, I never heard from her. I was living in St. Louis at the time with my sister. I was like, look, if you come through St. Louis, what she was going to do, I was like, please stay with us. We'd love to spend time with you and all that sort of stuff. And so we talked for maybe a good hour. I don't remember uh, it well. Um, but it was a great conversation, and that was the day that I felt like my preaching began the shift, uh, that I was like, okay, I, I can come out here, I can speak with boldness, I can speak with clarity, and hopefully also grace and truth, and, and some wisdom and some salt, and all that sort of stuff, and people will gather, and people will listen, and I'm getting their, them there on the gospel, I'm not getting them there on anything else but the gospel and Jesus, and they want to gather on that, and they want to interact on that. Uh, and it was great. And so that was the beginning of kind of the first time really getting a legit good crowd. I, I didn't keep it because no one asked questions. Um, it wasn't a day of getting questions. And that was more getting the, the interaction going and, and developing and sustaining a crowd was something I learned more over time at the University of Missouri. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Um, but yeah, that was the beginning of getting a crowd. So if you want to do it, uh, my advice to you is to do the same do the same thing. Go out there with boldness. Have confidence in your message that you are there to preach the gospel and people need to hear the gospel. Uh, don't apologize for being out there. And secondly, uh, step back and project your answers for all to be involved. So that's this episode of the Campus Preacher Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Keith, at campuspreacher.com, Campus Evangel on the Twitter, Campus Preacher on Instagram, Keith Darrell on Facebook. The Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week.